folks. Howdy do there. <laughs> and welcome to Take Me Into the Ball Game. <laughs> Take me back into the world of athletic beasts and where to find them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On the diamond. <laughs> yes, yes, except for there are no transphobes in this particular world. It's true. That howdy do there, I I don't know. I, I was trying something new. Might workshop it. No, I loved it so much I was speechless. Didn't you notice? <laughs> Didn't just, you notice the 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 stunned and delighted silence on I, this half of I the did. table? I, I think I took it on the uh, the other side of the stunned silence scale. <laughs> no, I I enjoyed it so much I didn't remember what I was supposed to say next. So that is Eric Gildy. How do you do there? <laughs> and my name is Ellen Adair. How do you do? <laughs> and we are two actors who decided some time ago that we would watch baseball movies and grade them on the 20 to 80 scouting scale used for baseball prospects. And that is what we are doing to this day. It is true to this very moment in time where we are recording this next masterpiece of an episode, because how can we fail with such... Perfect material. Indeed. For this week, in this moment, at this point in time in human history, we are discussing (laughs) the episode of television that we're drawing out as if you don't know from having read the episode title, Leo DeRocher meets Mr. Ed. Hello. I'm Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Oh, Leo DeRocher meets Mr. Ed. Yes, there was a big bang, a lot of atoms splitting off into a vast, infinite universe. A sea of quarks. They all formed together and split apart and formed together again over the course of billions of years. So that Sons we created new different kinds of materials and empires their, and their, have risen indeed. and fallen yes a- across civilizations unknown to us, and it's all led to us in our apartment in Queens talking about a TV show where a horse plays baseball from nineteen sixty three yes, yeah. this episode of Mr. Ed, Mr. Ed's my father's name. Aired. Oh no, that was a whole bit I was going to have later. <laughs> oh no. Well, it will. It, it, We've introduced it early. It'll now then. it'll feel like yeah, a callback. Exactly. <laughs> oh boy, uh, we're all ready, punchy. September 29th, 1963, and was the season four premiere, actually. What a way and, to start uh, off a season. For people who uh, do not know, Children's author. <laughs> oh man, I did my thing with this. Um, there's this dude, Walter R. Brooks, who wrote a number of talking animal stories, including a series of books called Freddy the Pig and a series of short stories about a talking horse and his drunken owner. Arthur Lubin had directed a half dozen Francis the Talking Mule movies and wanted to turn that into a series. He was unable to get the rights for TV, so he turned to Brooks, who got funding from comedian George Burns Hmm. to make the pilot for the great television show, greatest television show. It's up there. It's up there for sure. Mr. Ed. Succession, Mr. Ed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Wire. 
Oh my gosh. And in this particular episode of TV where uh, Mr. Ed, the talking horse who only talks to his owner, Wilbur, not an alcoholic for family TV purposes, Mr. Ed is a diehard Dodgers fan and thinks that he can help the team get out of its slump. If only he could offer his insight to good old Leo DeRocher. And uh, so he does. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Hijinks ensue. There, there, there are some other things that happen, but that's uh, that's more or less what we got there. Alan Young plays Wilbur. Lubin cast him in part because he quote just seemed like the sort of guy a horse would talk to. Perfect, absolutely perfect. <laughs> Type you know what? Well, that's what casting boils down to, actually. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah do yeah. I buy this person? These two people were both really good, but this one seems more like the kind of guy that a horse would talk to. Yeah, Alan Young is wonderful. I'm not meaning to denigrate his uh, performance and his excellence. Yeah, also a really long, uh, amazing career. A lot of voiceovers. Did a lot of writing as well. Um, will always be known to me as well. God bless him for being the voice of Scrooge McDuck. Oh. I don't think I knew that fact. Um, Yeah, and actually did a decent amount in the development of that whole uh, universe. Woo! That duck. He's someone needs to put a statue of him up in Duckburg. That's all I'm saying. Uh, The voice of Mr. Ed himself was Alan Lane, a veteran Western actor, uh, maybe best known otherwise for playing Red Rider in seven films in the late 1940s. That's You'll shoot your eye out. He was never given on-screen credit for this role, however, despite the fact that oh. this show, it was like 100-something D episodes of this. That's crazy. Yeah. You can imagine all of his friends getting together with him at the bar and being like, <laughs> so what have you been up to? And he's like, well, I'm on this head television show. And they're like, oh, well, what? why haven't I seen it? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. That's tough. Uh, but, you know, I bet the residuals were still pretty good. Oh, yeah. Cash that check. That's a whole lot of hay. You know, <laughs> what, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Actually, I don't really know where we were in terms of residuals in the 1960s, but I should brush up on my television history. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, so, yeah, we've been rambling around a bit. I'm happy to sort of let that be the intro as it stands. Excellent. So if you are just joining us for Leo DeRocher meets Mr. Ed, welcome. welcome. And (laughs) if you are not familiar with the 20 to 80 scouting scale, the most important thing to know is that 50 is average on the scale, but that is an average major leaguer. So if scouts such as ourselves find a prospect that we think is going to stick at the majors and have a 50 in some particular tool, you know, power, fielding, throwing hitting, etc. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a horse. It's like it's like a racehorse. It's the it's the middle of the pack racehorse. Great. Okay. So <laughs> Sure. Excellent. Are we going with horses for this? No, I don't really want to do them anymore, but I just did that on reflex. Right. All right. Yes. Excellent. Our our episodes have been getting pretty long and so we're we're thinking of maybe scaling down our you know, 25 minute metaphor conversations. So we're already at the like a third more than a third of the 
length of the episode and like we haven't even started because I've just been like the author Walter Brooks wrote a bunch of stories. Look it's important contextual information. I'm sure that the audience loves to know it. That's what my voice sounds like to me by the way. I'm obsessed with people's voices for themselves. I, I love basically people have the choice to either go higher or lower right and so I said well and so I was like well I didn't yeah anyway those are the two main choices right so to return to the 20 to 80 scouting scale with this brief digression 45 is less good than 50 obviously 45 is like fringy but we'll play 40 is like uh, probably up and down, not going to stick in the majors. 30 and 20 are like, this person does not have this particular skill. Yeah, like a like a slower horse. Yes, exactly. Or a horse that's bad at other stuff. Yeah, a 20 yeah. might not even be a horse. A 20 might be like, this is a donkey. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Well, a moose is maybe better. I don't know. That, but that could be a bias. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eric is very <laughs> obsessed with moose. So 55 is better than average. Quite good. 60 excellent 70 is a superstar and 80 is a hall of fame level talent <coughs> hell of a horse hell of a horse yeah i mean i feel like one I'm talking could, secretariat yeah i i mean i actually feel like mr ed is an 80 grade horse oh yeah because of all of the different abilities and knowledge that mr ed possesses so, it's true correct. it's true so now we're going to apply those scores that you've just learned about to the different tools for this television episode. And the first one is amount of baseball. <laughs> now that we've established ourselves as smart, serious people. <laughs> yes. Let us, yeah, clearly. let us get to the work. Obviously. Very serious. <laughs> of talking about Mr. Ed. Always on topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So the amount of baseball... Uh, <clears throat> In uh, in Leo DeRocha meets Mr. Ed, um, it is delightfully not awful actually mm-hmm. um, for being mm-hmm. an episode of a television sitcom. I think you know there's a lot of story stuff that needs to happen, and then there's frequently like a a game at the end or, or something like that. But this is present in a few different places we get you know the opening scene where ed is watching his dodgers lose to the giants and that's him watching it on tv but we actually see some of it on tv we do we hear some announcing which Mm -hmm. is nice and that leads to a sort of batting tutorial that mr ed gives wilbur where he uses a broom that is not like hugely baseballish, but it's it's. I feel like it's baseball. It is baseball enough. adjacent, yeah. And uh, uh, Wilbur hits Roger, who's coming in because of a a bad swing back. Freaking Wilbur Ozuna over there. Oh, <laughs> I totally, totally, yeah. Um, I definitely felt like you know it's just absolutely classic when your horse is making you practice a batting stance with a broom and you end up knocking down your neighbor with the broom in the back saying literally we have all been there right yeah. like watching this episode everybody can relate but yeah. particularly Marcelo Zuna it's true <laughs> perhaps one of the nicer things about Marcelo Zuna <laughs> so we also get like a phone call to the dugout when Mr. Ed calls Leo DeRocher to offer up some tips and all of that. And then we get a nice like practice sequence at the end. Like there's a decent amount here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think there are a few things to appreciate. First, the instantaneous amount of baseball always calms me down. And also that Mr. Ed is immediately seen in a Dodgers hat watching them on TV. Good stuff. Something I really enjoy is that they inserted a laugh track moment after... Vin Scully says, Giants 4, Dodgers 3, as if this is a laugh line. It's great. It's just, it's fantastic, folks. And I think another thing that I would really like to appreciate is that the sequence in actual Dodger Stadium with actual Dodgers, which Mm -hmm. I feel like those both, the authenticity inflates the excellence of the amount of baseball. It's like super saturated baseball when it's actual baseball players. It's almost six minutes long, which honestly, this is a good length for a baseball scene in any length of a project, but in a 25-minute television show, like... a quarter of the episode. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know... I'm I'm also a math whiz. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Hmm, Sexy. So we do get a couple of other instances of baseball, as discussed, the Willie Davis at bat on TV, Scourin winning the ball game, and then like the shots of Davis, Roseboro, Scourin, and Koufax engaged in baseball activities as Mr. Ed imagines meeting them. I absolutely love that sequence. Yeah. I think it's pretty good, actually. Yeah. There's plenty of baseball films that are not 25% baseball, and that's just the one main sequence. There's other baseball sprinkled in. Yeah. I think going into this, this is probably an episode that I saw when I was a kid. Like, I remember waking up, like, super early for, like, ridiculous, like, going to school early as a kid stuff. Remember having to do that? It was terrible. And I think it was, like, Nickelodeon was, like, transitioning from Nick at Night into Nickelodeon, like, at that, like, weird early hour. And so I saw a lot of old Mr. Ed and Dennis the Menace and Lassie Mm. episodes Mm. uh, in my childhood as a result of this. So I'm sure I've seen this episode. All of that is to say, I didn't remember it super well. And I went in kind of anticipating this to be maybe in like more the 30 realm and it's, or maybe 40. And I, and I sit here now before you (laughs) fully prepared to give this a 60. I'm between a 55 and a 60. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's a ratio stat and not a counting stat, to be very clear, if if you have not listened to our other episodes about television shows. Yeah, I think I think I'll go 60 with you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a strong I think it's a strong amount of baseball. Awesome. What a pleasant surprise. I'm sure it's only going to go up from here. How can it not? So our next tool Mm -hmm. is baseball accuracy right yeah Uh, i keep um, forgetting that so i know that there is one question on everyone's minds certainly on the mind of jim my scouting director Mm -hmm. and that is how are we going to determine the central premise of this television show because as has often been discussed The central premise gets a pass in the scoring of baseball accuracy. We might still talk about something, but it gets a pass in the scoring. So I can't just say, you know, for example, this is a 20 because a horse obviously can't play or know that much about baseball. We have to look at how they make that happen. And after many sleepless nights and exhaustive research into the Mr. Ed cinematic universe. I'd be like, Ellen, turn off the light. <laughs> like, no, I have to figure this out. Put the schematic, put down the yarn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. We really only have two rooms in our apartment, and one of them is just a big bulletin board with a lot of yarn going from (laughs) Mr. Ed to different guest stars on Mr. Ed. Different animal athletes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Different (laughs) animal athletes. So I am going to determine that the central premise here is not simply a horse can talk, but... A horse can talk and has a charming array of inexplicable knowledge and abilities. I think that this is central to the Mr. Ed canon. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah, because it's not just that it's a talking horse, right? It's that it's like a talking horse that also like has a human brain, basically. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, well... And so like... It can find a horse version of doing any number of tasks and develop skill sets and have reading glasses. Reading glasses. Oh my God, the reading glasses are so good. See, I, not having a television, have not seen... I, I know that I saw as a child an episode of Mr. Ed, mm-hmm. you know, in a hotel TV or something like that. Ooh, like I was... What a day that must have been. It, it was... I mean, we'll we'll get to it later in storytelling, but... I did not grow up with this. So so yes, this required a certain amount of research for me to understand exactly what was central to the Mr. Ed premise. And so... I mean, I think the central premise is really just like, there's a horse that talks, but only to his friend. And they he like gets him into and then out of sitcom trouble. Right. Yeah, no, but I think important is that he has a charming array of inexplicable knowledge and abilities, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, it's fun to watch a horse do people stuff. Oh my God, it's great. It's never not delightful. And I don't think there was ever a moment that this show has lost sight of that. (laughs) So, however, that being granted, we do run into a few Airbud issues with the fact that Mr. Ed has to turn his head away from the pitcher in order to hit the baseball during his coiling and swing initiation. Well, so, but th- they're more like eyes on the side of the head, though. They're like the herbivore eyes more than the predator like oh, in front of fair. the eyes. That's fair. So although I think the problem does exist, the position of the eyes in a horse's head make it more plausible. This is incredibly important and insightful analysis that um, you are offering to this particular point. I'm not even arguing like good, but I am maybe arguing like better than a dog. I agree. I agree. Better than a dog on that particular point. However, he still really isn't able to leverage any of the strength of his bottom four fifths in order to swing. Yeah. So this I'm is not going to do anything if you Tuck your shoulder in. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. So that warning track double that he turns into a home run absolutely would not happen. Like we did talk about how it was good in Airbud that they didn't have him hitting dingers. But Mr. Ed does not avoid that clear physics fallacy, which is disappointing in an episode that, to your point, focuses so much on swing mechanics. Yeah. And is constantly referencing Archimedes. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's that's Wilbur. But yes. That's true. But, you know, you would think that among the skill sets of a talking horse who plays baseball and knows how to do stuff is uh, maybe picking up a thing or two from old Wilbur. Yeah, undoubtedly. There's a a sort of, you know, like cross-pollination there of ideas, no doubt. Yeah. So I personally would have been equally pleased to see him 
get a sort of a swinging bunt that Koufax was confused about whether or not he was supposed to field it because, like, it's BP. And then to just to see Ed, like, tear around the base paths because that's where a horse would have an advantage. Like, you know, maybe they're trying to tag him out at second, but he's already past second and beats the throw to third because he is a horse. Yeah. And he's galloping around the bases. I like, feel like yeah, that power is fun. measured by you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, let's see that. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, as Ed is is rounding third and heading for home, as we discussed with Airbud, sliding isn't really the advantage for a horse or a dog that it is for a person just because the long part of their body is already parallel to the ground. And look, it might just be the crowning cinematic achievement of the 20th century, yeah. or or maybe humankind as a whole. I mean, here I'm talking about the juxtaposition of the shot of Ed running, Wilbur yelling slide, the horse body sliding <laughs> completely <laughs> on his side, four legs pointing to the infield, literally in the most impractical way for a horse to slide, looking... <laughs> 1,000% like a horse carcass. Then John Rosemarrow jumping up and clinging to the batting cage. And then the one hoof appearing on the plate. <laughs> it might be the best thing we've all ever seen for however many years we have been blessed to be alive. But also, from a strict accuracy standpoint, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Whoa, it's, don't it's, let's not rush to any conclusions no, 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 here. It's, it's not efficient. In the team that I coach of dogs and or horses, I will tell them to run through every base unless they're specifically trying to avoid a tag, which obviously Rosebro is not trying to tag him out at the plate. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, to your earlier point, you know, horses are, are fast. The slide is going to slow them down exactly. anyway. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's what I'm saying from a strict accuracy standpoint. It doesn't make sense. It really we also, breaks my heart to say it, but I think you might be on to something. Yeah, there. we also see Ed slide from a distance that we've already seen him run. It's like he backs up in order to slide. And I think that adds to the hilarity of it all, but it is an accuracy problem. Oh, golly. I also, this is sort of baseball accuracy. I have to imagine it's probably pretty difficult to just like, bring a horse into Dodger Stadium. I did think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like like that he's just sort of like, oh hey, I brought my horse along, right? Yeah, like over. It, this is my horse. Yeah, like like and not just like, oh, we're in the concourse. Like they're on the field. Yeah. The it, horse somehow made it through the clubhouse onto the field. Yeah. And it's not like Mr. Ed is like oh. saddled up or something. It's not like like the horse doesn't have any use as far as anybody there is concerned it's just like a horse standing there yeah 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 it's a great point uh, also thank you yeah thank you very much mr ed claims that he can hit run and field but he has absolutely not proven that he can feel we haven't seen him field at all no no he has one 80 grade tool that's his speed like his hit tool like charitably would be a 50, even in a fairy tale. And I refuse to buy his power is more than 30. And fielding and throwing are 20s, obviously. Yeah. And that, man, that outfielder wearing the number 50 jersey. So there's like a sequence in Dodger Stadium, right? The one where Mr. Ed does uh, this incredible feat, one of the greatest things ever seen in the animal kingdom. 
And we, before that, see some of the players kind of improving based on his advice that is being sort of mouthed to Wilbur, who can read lips and then relay the message to Leo DeRocher, who then relays it to the players. And each one of these hits, I think at least one of them is a home run, but um, they all go to the same part of the outfield where there is a player wearing a number 50 jersey who looks like he doesn't even know why he's there. Like he sort of like lumbers to the back and then just sort of looks around. There wasn't anyone on the 1963 Dodgers who wore a number 50 jersey. So I would argue that that is not a player that security is clearly very, very bad at Dodger Stadium that day with that guy and the horse and just all of that. All of this is to say is that I, I don't know that that was a professional fielding the ball. And so I, again, just have some a little bit of doubt about Mr. Ed's actual abilities. Like if you had talented outfielders maybe he, but he wouldn't clearly, have made that slide. He clearly oh true 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 yes yes but he did hit it to the warning track it's true i mean that is what the television show is positing but yeah i looked at that number 50 and i was like that is not mookie betts <laughs> absolutely not and um derocher is wearing number two which he did wear for brooklyn from 1938 to 1945 but he had a different number by 1963. Mm. As as the coach. Yeah, yeah, because he had left to go to the Giants and then he came back to coach for LA for a little bit afterwards before moving on from there. But that's an interesting thing because he definitely seems to be the manager in this case, even though that was, uh, what, uh, Walter Alston? Yes, I believe so. Yes, that was one thing that I had noticed is I was like, he's sort of, he's definitely, I mean, I think he's even referred to as the manager in oh. the show. I mean, DeRocher is referred to as the manager and he wasn't the manager, he was a coach. Yeah, it was a little bit, I mean, I, I guess I get it, but like, it's a little bit strange and like... It's an, you know. it's, it's, I get it, but also it's an accuracy problem, essentially. Because like, uh, Walter Aston, you know... That that was a very good team while Aston was exactly. the manager. Exactly. Totally. Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of the batting advice that Ed gives, however, has at least kernels of truth to it or essentially checks out. So what we hear him say in that very first scene when he's watching TV is, you're dropping that right shoulder again, Moose, straighten out. And it is true that if the first move that a batter makes is to drop the back shoulder and Scourin being a righty, that's his right shoulder, this is a problem for your power and for your timing because of the amount of time that then the bat spends in the zone. So most MLB hitters, their back shoulder might be up a little bit at the beginning of the swing and as they swing, it will tilt down a little bit because of just the natural torque, but that's not the same as actually dropping the shoulder. So as I understand it, i.e. as a mere dweeb, one of the main things that might cause you to drop your shoulder is not having your elbows at the sort of regular sustained angle. Hmm. So if they're at some kind of crazy angle, if they're not a consistent distance as you swing through the zone until the follow through, then your elbows will change distance, obviously. That's one of the things that can cause your shoulder to pop up. Hmm. Yeah. Uh. Or drop, depending. Can I can I say a couple of things about Moose since this Absolutely. was the example? Yes. Oh, 
Moose. Moose. What a name. Bill Moose Scourin. So named because one day when he was seven years old, his grandfather gave him a haircut that some people thought made him look somewhat like Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Oh my gosh, that's what it is? (laughs) That's what it is. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. (laughs) Oh man, I did did like a spit take when I first read that. Oh, so good. Moose spent, he he played for a long time by the time this episode happened. He'd Mm -hmm. uh, been on the Yankees for like nine seasons and then was traded to the Dodgers for pitcher Stan Williams and then actually only spent a season in L.A. before moving on to the Senators, then the White Sox, then the Angels. So we are really seeing him here in his very brief Dodgers window. Um, so that just makes this episode even more important of a historical artifact in addition to being a great piece of art. Obviously. I do appreciate that Mr. Ed is immediately willing to accept Muscaron into his heart. Yeah. Right? He he understands that anybody who has played for the Yankees, however long, can be redeemed yeah. by simply not playing for the Yankees anymore. <laughs> it's the great hope for every baseball player. Well, and interestingly enough, he was not good as a Dodger. Uh, his batting average was 203 with an OPS of 539 Mm-mm. and uh, OPS plus of 61. Oh, ouch. However, as the encounter with Mr. Ed must, it seems, take place late enough in the season for them to clinch the pennant uh, over the course of the this episode, we'll get to that in a little bit, it's important to point out that Moose had a huge turnaround for the actual 1963 World Series, like batted 385 with a 1044 OPS during the 63 World Series kind of turnaround. So I think that to those who would doubt Mr. Ed's advice, I would say nay. Yeah. Look, there's the proof. Yeah. Right? It's Mm -hmm. the Mr. Ed bump. He got the Mr. Red. He got bump. the Mr. Red bump. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, because we we definitely, you know, the episode certainly presents a difference. Oh yeah. But also, so does life. Yeah. This is life imitating art. It's interesting that the choice is that a called strike is the most ignominious of endings for a batter. When I was raised to believe, rightly or wrongly, that a swinging strike was the most ignominious of endings. But yeah, he 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 immediately turns it around as soon as he gets that advice and then hits, I believe, a home run to win the game in the yeah. Mr. Uh, Ediver's. There you go. All you need is a talking horse who knows his stuff. I mean, all you need is anybody who knows their stuff. But if it's a talking horse, obviously yeah, that helps. Yeah, I want it to be a talking horse. There's one other thing with Moose that I do have to mention. I was reading the Sabre bio of him by uh, Joseph Wancho. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. And um, in it, he quotes Tony Kubek and Terry Pluto's book, 61, The Team, The Record, The Men, and has this uh, uh, just for, for you and for the love that we shared for a certain guy in 61 named Bob Serve. Oh, Bob Serve. Um, in this book, Johnny Blanchard is quoted as saying, when I think of Moose, I remember him and Bob Serve before games. 
The two of them would face each other. They would lock their hands behind each other's necks. Then it would begin the banging of heads. (gasps) They'd do it for fun, but they wouldn't stop until there were tears running down from their own eyes. I know Moose and Serve would have fun doing it, but there's nothing more horrible than hearing two skulls banging together. Wow. Oh my god. Imagine them just like game's about to start. And just going Let's up get and just, hyped. Let's give each other a pregame. It's like Jojo concussion. Romero, yeah, exactly, drinking a Red Bull and crushing it against his head, except oh. for that it's two people. Wow. Oh, they're each I, other's Red Bulls. They're each other's Red Bulls, yeah. Yeah, they give each other wings. I <laughs> love that so much. And also I really didn't know where it was gonna go. It's a great story. It's it's an excellent story. And I can't remember who it was. Some tweet that's been circulating recently about some guy who was like, there's nothing gay about baseball. I'm like, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Pride, everybody. (laughs) Uh, So some more advice from Mr. Ed to various batters. Uh, On the advice, tell him to take a longer step into the ball before he swings. So this isn't universally good advice since it sort of depends on the batting stance. Some batters have a short batting stance and need to take a longer stride, while some have a longer stance and don't need to step forward as much. They just sort of shift their weight onto the front foot. Hmm. And the main thing is that it works with the batter's timing. Whatever the batter does, whether it's a longer stride or a shorter stride with with a wider stance. And we kind of see this because the advice for John Roseborough, who comes next, is to have a wider stance and a shorter step. So the episode does acknowledge that it kind of depends on the batter. Yeah. However, the Willie Davis that we see as the actor is also very obligingly really not striding into the ball at all when we first see his swing. And I tried to find out what Davis's actual stance stride was organically, not in this sort of strange fictional circumstance. And I couldn't find either a good picture or video. Hmm. It was sort of, I mean, it's crazy because I like, you know, YouTube some things, but it's crazy the way they used to broadcast baseball where they'd basically like whip pan from the pitcher to the hitter. So like you don't see the hitter until they've already hit the ball kind of anyway. So inconclusive, but interesting. However, in terms of Wilbur's batting mechanics, as we've already discussed this moment a little bit, no batter alive has ever held the bat out perpendicularly from their waist like Wilbur does, (laughs) which is only a problem because Ed is supposed to be an expert and Ed doesn't correct him. And also, you don't want to raise your back shoulder too much, but here, Ed seems to think it's fine. So, small baseball accuracy problem. Hmm. Yeah, you would think that a uh, an architect who talks about angles all the time with his pal Leo DeRocher... And would, uh, watches enough baseball, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. You put those two together, you'd think you'd have a better batting stance. You would think. You would think you would. Speaking of which, there was... Uh, speaking of geometry, like there's a moment where Wilbur's doing his like Archimedes BS to sort of like cover for the fact that the the good advice that he's giving is not actually coming from him. And he concludes one of them by going like simple geometry and DeRocher goes, simple geometry, eh? And I wasted my whole childhood playing pool. You mean the geometry game? Yes, it's a great joke. <laughs> but I don't know, there was something about it that I was sort of like, like I felt like DeRocher said that not knowing that it's all about geometry. Like I felt like, and I don't know if it was just like the, it didn't land because of what he 
did or or if it was something in the right i don't know there was something about that that i was like it felt like a mistake rather than a joke oh i guess i just took it as a joke i took it that the joke was that derocher didn't understand that it's a game all about geometry but that we the audience know that it is and in fact he did not waste his childhood playing pool he spent his childhood thinking about geometry quite a bit I got to go back and watch this episode a couple more times. I yeah, guess. I mean, layers know, and layers. Exactly. I, four or five times <laughs> is not enough. So Vin Scully says that as Willie Davis is coming to the plate, that he has quote eight home runs, thirty-seven runs batted in. To quote my spectacular co-host, Nay. On the day that Davis hit his eighth home run in 1963, he already had 42 RBI. So it's not possible. No day ever had these exact stats. He did hit his eighth homer on July 29th of 1963, which would certainly have been a surprise for Dodger fans since he hit 21 the previous year, 1962, when he also swiped 32 bags. But he only hit a total of nine homers in 1963. And the truth is he would actually never hit more than 20 homers in a season after 1962. And in some ways... That's representative of the promise that Davis had that he never quite realized. And it's also representative of his real skill set being a speedster. So according to a Hardball Times article by Bruce Marcusen, Davis ran faster than any of the Dodgers, including Maury Wills even though obviously the stolen base titles for the two don't tell that story. He was a very good player, if not the superstar that was maybe anticipated, including by himself. Mark Husinger's an anecdote about how he predicted that he would hit 400 in 1969 and then ended up hitting 311. Mm. And 311 is still really good. Yeah. And in the middle of the season, he had a 31-game hitting streak that is still the Dodgers' franchise record for a hitting streak, but it is less than he forecasted for himself. Davis also won three gold gloves as a center fielder and was a two-time All-Star and was known as a good defensive player. But sadly, he's also associated with having a World Series record, a sad World Series record, the kind that you don't want to have, of three errors on two consecutive plays in the 1966 World Series. When, let's recall, he'd already won championships with the Dodgers in 1963 and 65, but first he lost track of a ball, and then the next batter, he dropped the ball and then threw it over third base. Mm. And the issue was that he couldn't see the ball in the sun, which tragically, is exactly what he says in this episode. Oh, wow. So on this topic, like seeing him muff those exceptionally easy fungos is sadder in retrospect, but I I still feel like... Ed Stradamus. Yeah, yeah. Like how easy those are to make gives me respect for what Davis had to do on the day, one, and also just because this is the category we're talking about, it docks some baseball accuracy points. It's like rookie of the year level bad, except it's a major league player. Yeah. But I also was like, did Willie Davis think about this TV episode when he muffed those plays in the 66 (laughs) World Series? Was he like, I manifested this? Yeah. Mr. Ed, he he haunts me still. He haunts me still. Yeah. This is like a sad instance of, of life imitating art. Yeah. I also... It just made me wonder if it's hard for a professional baseball player to intentionally play poorly. 
Like, I have to tell you, it would be no problem at all for me to act very badly. (laughs) I don't even mean like my usual level of bad acting, but just to be incontrovertibly, obviously terrible. It would be as easy as falling asleep. (laughs) But yeah, I wonder if it's hard for baseball players. Anyway, back to Willie Davis. His career war of 60.7 is somewhat famously the highest war for a player who isn't in the Hall of Fame. Or isn't like banned or shadow banned for some reason. Yeah. And partly huh. that is the longevity of his career. He played for 18 years and he was with the Dodgers for 13 seasons, which is why he has a lot of club records. For example, career hits, 2,091, runs, 1,004, triples, 110, at bats, 7,495, total bases, 3,094, and extra base hits, 585. Dang, Willie. Yeah, yeah, because he played for so long. Yeah. There's also a fun article on seamheads.com by Jeff Katz about Davis that focuses on his life in film, TV, and music, um, which started with a movie called Biography of a Rookie, a documentary shot about him while he was in the minors. And he could also sing well, and he was on the record called The Sound of the Dodgers in 1963. And other TV shows that he was on were The Flying Nun and Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. And he had a large role in the Jerry Lewis film, Which Way to the Front? Wow. Yeah. And other biographical... Other biographical side note, he was a Buddhist. What an awesome dude. Namaste. Yeah, exactly. That's terrific. Wow. Thank you. That's like loaded with stuff I'd never heard of before. It was really fun. It was really fun to uh, learn a little bit more about him. I do really, uh, I have a couple of storytelling feelings about uh, some of the ramifications of this particular instance of of the usages of it. But I appreciated the Mr. Ed working in calling the Dodgers bums a a number Mm -hmm. of times. It's fun. I don't know that this is something that we've talked about on here before but it's it's kind of fun the whole the whole thing like cartoonist Willard Mullins one day hopped into a cab after a game in the late 1930s and was struck by the cabbie's question to him how did our bums do today like he loved it he loved that that it was our bums and um, stuck in his mind. And so on June 15th, 1939, in an issue of the Sporting News, he made a cartoon showing a bum representing Brooklyn and modeled after this uh, famous circus performer, Emmett Kelly's hobo clown character, Wary Willie. And at the time, the Dodgers had made this brief appearance in the National League's first division, only to go back down pretty quickly afterwards. And in the cartoon... Wary Willie, you know, the bum clown representing the Dodgers, is showing up at a party with all of the first division teams and says, like, excuse me, I must have gotten to the wrong joint. Instant success. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> Obviously. Um, <laughs> this clown bum crashing a fancy party with, like, the Pirates and oh God, all the other top teams. Time. And um, (laughs) 
So the notion of Dodgers being bums, either like happy or sad bums, depending on their fortunes, was carved into Dodgers lore. And there's a great cartoon by the, uh, it's a different artist that's famously um, the front page of the Daily News after they won in 55. And uh, there's a really, really nice write-up on all of this on the Behind the Bag website. And interestingly enough, as the Dodgers attendance dwindled in Brooklyn and the wheels were sort of getting into motion for a move, Walter O'Malley hired Emmett Kelly to be the team mascot in 1957. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) Those bums should have stayed in Brooklyn. (laughs) Oh, you've got Harrison Ford. You've got Mr. Ed. I don't know that my Mr. Ed was so good. I think it needs work. They're surprisingly close. (laughs) They are surprisingly close. (laughs) As I did that, I was like, hmm, sounds a little bit like uh, Harrison Ford is Branch Lurkey, doesn't it? Ace Paul is an American. (laughs) (laughs) gentle listeners you need to know that like this has become a meme between us and we say it all the time now yeah it's true it's true the joke about leo derocher being traded to the mets as long as we're talking about bums is good because in part the mets went 40 and 120 in their inaugural season the year before and we're about to go 51 and 111 in 1963 Improvement, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Look, they're just heading to 1969. They're going to be just fine. But also because DeRocher had a history of being sent over to another team midseason, which is what happened in 1948 when he was shipped as a manager from the Brooklyn Dodgers to the New York Giants, where he would stay in 1955. We alluded to this earlier. Winning the pennant over the Dodgers in the famous 1951 season. Yeah. 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 Although he did win the World Series in 54 with the Giants. I think that was the only time DeRocher got... Yes, uh, is the uh, only time he actually won a World Series as a manager. Yeah. His joke about killing an umpire is also apt, since his 95 career ejections as a manager are second only to John McGraw. One of his famous quotations is, I never questioned the integrity of an umpire. Their eyesight, yes. Love it. So I good. love it so much. I uh, also really loved, speaking of him moving around, I loved DeRocher making the Casey Stengel joke. Oh my God, so it was good. really, really fun. I mean, you know, two powerhouse managers who were also just kind of like competing characters. Yes. There was a game in May 12th, 1936, where... They got into a fist fight. I did read did about this. Did you read this. about this? I did. So DeRocher was the shortstop for the Cardinals, and Stengel was managing the Dodgers at that time. And they were yelling back and forth, and it got personal, and it was, became a sort of see you after the ball game. I kind have of the exact quotes here, if you would like. Sure, sure. Well, and there are, what followed, there are competing versions of. Yes. So, yes. according to the St. Louis Post Dispatch, we'll talk about the competing versions here in a minute. This is, by the way, from a piece on retrosimba.com called Leo DeRocher, Casey Stengel, yeah, and the Duel in Brooklyn. Mark. Tomasic? To, yes. To, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm about, so sorry, everybody. Anyway, DeRocher said, if you have nerve enough to say to my face what you've been saying under the protection of the ball game, I'll be surprised. And Stengel said, I'll be there and I'll have a bat with me. And DeRocher said, you'll probably need a bat. <laughs> so good. Anyway, please continue. 
Well, so uh, according to DeRocher, Stengel hit him with the bat before getting punched in the mouth and sort of going on from there. And uh, according to Stengel, he dropped the bat and they just like went at each other with Stengel landing like lots of punches on DeRocher and was quoted, I think, in the Daily Eagle as saying, (laughs) that fresh boob is lucky I didn't knock out his brains with that bat, but nothing like that was necessary. He can't hit any harder with his fists than he can with a bat. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah, the reason that we have the two different sides is because basically the St. Louis Post-Dispatch interviewed DeRocher and the Brooklyn Daily Eagle interviewed Stengel. And so that's why right. we have these two like historical different so versions funny. of what happens. Yeah, yeah. I it's, love it. it's so good. Also, in terms of their managerial World Series matchup, Stengel and the Yankees beat the Giants in six, sadly. Mm, Sadly. And it seems some animosity endured. In his autobiography, DeRocher said, I would make the loser's trip to the opposing dressing room to congratulate the other manager because that was the proper thing to do. But I didn't like it. You think I liked it when I had to go see Mr. Stengel and say, congratulations, Casey, you played great. I'd have liked to stick a knife in his chest and twist it inside it. <laughs> yeah, Leo DeRocha was awesome. Oh, man. A couple of real quick little things. Uh, when Ed actually calls the dugout and DeRocha answers, there's this quick, I mean, well, it's the thing that you said before about like, oh, like, don't tell me, Moose, that I've been traded to the Mets, and then answers the phone call. And Mr. Ed's like, Moose is up next yep. you've got to tell him to drop his shoulder wouldn't he like be on deck then I what's had he this, doing in the dugout i had literally this exact same note which is like he should be on deck not answering the clubhouse phone especially when like at the very have... least in the hole exactly. at the very least yes and and like there's no reason sometimes with this kind of thing you're like well they only got the one player we want to use them as much but there are like several players being featured here there's no reason not to have it just be somebody else i completely agree i completely agree (sighs) boy that made me mad yeah and then all was forgiven as happens every time i (laughs) we get to that slide every time we get to that slide yes everything else that has ever existed in our lives is wiped clean and we emerge new sparkling into the dew of a new day (laughs) so a couple of Sandy Kofax facts. Oh. Checks. Kofax facts. I just really like saying Kofax facts. So, Kofax fact check. Nobody's curves are better than Sandy Kofax. Like nobody ever. Not Doc Gooden or Satchel Page or Nolan Ryan, much less Carol Wilbur's wife. I believe, Eric, you might have something also to contribute to this Kofax facts. Well, I was just looking at the Nyer James Guide to Pitchers. We love you, Um, Rob Nyer. Oh, yes. And there's just so much good stuff in here. And a lot of the comments on Kofax are are really great in this, but um, I'll just read the thing that umpire Jocko Conlon said. Sandy threw his curve overhand. He was the only left-hander who threw the curveball overhand to make it drop off straight down. There was no question that his was the greatest curve around. You couldn't hit it any distance. It was a ball you beat into the ground. That was the reason for all his victories. He struck out a lot of men, but those that got the bat on the ball hit it on the ground. Yeah, just classic, like 12 to 6, dropping off a table. Yeah. Sandy Koufax curve. And I guess it didn't really have much in the way of like lateral movement. It just just went straight down. Straight down. down. Yeah. Classic. 
So another Kofax fact check. He's not throwing BP. That's not happening. <laughs> and and a fact check. However, <laughs> let's let's think about Sandy Koufax in 1963 for uh, one second. Yeah, or, you know what? Maybe a couple of seconds. Yeah, I was going to say if you've been listening to this podcast, even just this one, and not our other however many podcasts, you know it's not going to be one second. So for those who may not recall, Koufax was really a different pitcher from 1961 to 1966 than he was previously, having worked to sort of harness his command in a few up and down seasons from 1955 to 1960, some good, some a little below average, never terrible. But in 1963, he was unreal. This was the first year that he won the pitcher triple crown, leading baseball in wins, strikeouts, and ERA. Mm. And what's crazy is that he did it three times in 1963, 1965, and 1966. And that is something that has only been done three other individual times since then. It's so insane. Which which is uh, Dwight Gooden in 1985, Johan Santana in 2006, and Shane Bieber in the shortened 2020 season. So thanks to a great article by Andrew Simon on MLB.com, which is called 11 Stats That Show Why Koufax is a Legend, and for that and, and some of these other facts. I'm not going to go over all 11, but you should look up the article. But here are some other fun ones. In 1963 sort of focusing on 1963, he led all of baseball in ERA with a 1.88, but he led the NL in ERA in his final five seasons for a 195 ERA total. And in the live ball era, he's the only pitcher to have an ERA under 190 in three different seasons. Uh, in yeah, he's ni- good. He was very good. In 1963, he threw his second no-hitter, on May 11th, 1963, besting Juan Marichal and a Giants lineup that included Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, and Orlando Cepeda. So, oh, like, gosh. a pretty good team. <laughs> What's crazy about Kovacs's four no-hitters is that he threw them in four consecutive seasons, and he is the only pitcher to ever do that. Mm. Also, in 1963, he had a consecutive scoreless inning streak of 33 from July 3rd to July 16th. He had 10.7 war in 1963, one of two seasons to have more than 10. He has the most pitching war in his final four seasons by a lot, like of any pitcher ever, at 36.3 war. Although I do want to note that Cliff Lee is second at 20.2 war. (laughs) I love you, Cliff Lee, forever. In 1963, he won his first Cy Young, clearly also the Mr. Ed bump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's one of 11 pitchers to win three Cy Youngs, but he is the only one to do it when there was just one award for both leagues. I love that. Yes. Uh. And he was also the NL MVP in 1963. They were like, here, take the Cy Young and also take the MVP award. (laughs) He is the only pitcher in baseball history to win a Cy Young in his final season. And he would also go on to win World Series MVP in 1963, winning games one and four versus the Yankees. Woohoo! It's crazy that he was so dominant over this stretch because, and this is part of the reason why, you know, final season, final four seasons, and so on, because he was in constant pain from arthritis in his elbow that ultimately ended his career early at only age 31. And so that is why he's the youngest player elected to the Hall of Fame at age 36. Wow. Yeah. 
just a few of the many Kofax facts that are out there. So the the only real like big question that I have left really as far as accuracy goes is where in the season are we in this? Because I'm like, how can you be slumping but also be like about clinch the pennant oh that's and a good question also like then leo derocher comes by at the end and is like i got some season passes like are they for next season would those be ready yet or is this just like a nice way of saying like here's Here, here are tickets to the last couple games yeah i guess it just because it was released in september i assumed that it was maybe if not specifically a like September 29th late September it was sort it of was meant to be like portraying the, representing towards the season. end of the season you know that. what I mean and I I think that that's a really good point that you're making but I also feel like if you're chasing the pennant and then you suddenly have a few games you know especially versus a big rival team where you're not doing very well it feels like a slump when it's like oh god every game is so important and of course yeah. every game is so important throughout the entirety of the season but it just feels like they're more important in september yeah so i got i guess i just got a little whiplashed by like we got to get out of this slump we won the pennant yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's an excellent. Although, point. like I obviously, that, the but. you know like pennant races, especially back then, you know, like could really really come down to the wires sometimes. Totally, so I guess that maybe is just sort of like what happens in this version of the nineteen sixty three season. I don't think it was super close. The Cardinals were second in the National League that year. But they were, I mean, they were still six games back from the Dodgers. So anyway, like, it's not that big of a deal, but it did make me feel like maybe this is more of a storytelling thing that, like, if it were a close race and those games were that important, that would have been, like, really good information to tell the audience. I agree. Yep. A really Um, excellent point. So, yeah. And that season pass thing, is like, is Leo just trying to, like get rid of a couple of tickets for like the last weekend or does he just but those would be like maybe they're well sought after tickets yeah 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 what a missed opportunity again we're getting into storytelling in baseball accuracy for wilbur to be like but the dodgers are in a pennant race right and it's close to the end of the season and i got three tickets for this homestand and like it's important that i yeah yeah i also i think it would have been a funny joke if it were like here are your season passes and Wilbur being like, there's only two games left in the season. And him being like, you enjoy those and like heading out the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, um, one last thing. I just want to say to any kids who might be listening, Wilbur doesn't know what he's talking about. Do not meet the ball in a declining arc. It's going to give you a real Nick Madrigal launch angle, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's my one last baseball accuracy thing so what does the grand picture of baseball accuracy in leo derocher meets mr ed look obviously if we if we give the the central premise a pass as discussed exhaustively i think it could be a lot worse and there are some smart points to counteract the inaccuracies so i think i'm gonna go 40 yeah that sounds about right yeah that's that's what i'm gonna do too excellent great So now we've already teased it a little bit, but our next tool is storytelling. You know, there's so much here that is 
really, really enjoyable. Some of it is just as simple as the the tried and true look at look at the animal doing people oh, stuff. Oh God, it's so good. Like turning on the light is so good. Mm-hmm. Unplugging the TV, yeah. picking up the phone receiver. Admiring himself in the mirror. Admiring himself in the mirror. Why is there a little mirror for him in the bar? Like, wouldn't the wife who doesn't know that Mr. Ed is a talking horse be like, Wilbur, why do you have that mirror in that weird corner of the barn? I feel like there'd be a great episode in which Wilbur is like, oh, it's like for a bird, you know? Like, so the horse doesn't what? feel... Yeah, you know, like, birds really like mirrors. You put mirrors in bird oh, cages. they're so because, narcissistic. Because it's interesting to the bird. I yeah. think maybe they think it's another bird sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who's that? Right? Yeah, that, that a certain amount of uh, a mark of animal intelligence is the ability to look at oneself in the mirror and recognize that it is the self and not, like, a portal to another world with a, you know, sort of annoying cat on the other side who just keeps on doing exactly what I'm doing. I'm yeah. I am the cat in this particular well, not for Mr. Ed. He's like He's like, that's me and looking I'm looking good sharp. champion. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely love all of the photos of the Dodgers in his stable. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a he's got like a like a little man cave. A it feels actually cave? to me it feels so much like like a preteen of really either gender with like their baseball heroes up on the wall. Maybe I'm just like thinking of myself but yeah yeah i love it it so much it's pretty delightful although i have to say speaking of that early moment i did have the question is mr ed like kind of a crappy sports fan like they lose that game in the very beginning of the episode a loss against the rival giants at what is presumably a, a pennant race um as discussed earlier but, like, how does Ed react? He trashes all of his cool Dodger stuff in his man cave, the horse cave, stable, whatever. He threatens to basically disown his fandom and go over and become a San Francisco fan. It's problematic. It just made me think, like, that's kind of like a jerk thing to do. I agree. I mean, there, there are aspects of, like, Mr. Ed's mood being charted directly to whether or not the Dodgers have won that cut very close to home for me personally. But, like, not ever do I ever think about not being a Phillies fan. Never would I trash the portrait of Cliff Lee that is hanging directly to my left. Never right? in a million yes. years. Yeah, never in a million years. Yeah, or, you know, my Aaron Nola bobblehead to have something that's about the current team right so yeah yeah, no no that i mean i like i wouldn't trash my portrait of gail simmons if she like said something about food that i really disagreed with yeah if she didn't like the dish of your favorite whoever your favorite top chef person is i don't even know who it is for this season i mean my favorite is ali but yeah oh it's a pretty good choice yeah anyway we love top chef yeah i mean to me that was just comedy right yeah. The, the sort of like extremes of Mr. Ed's opinion. Tragedy plus time. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> yes, it's it's a it's it's a tragedy for him because he he feels it, and it's a comedy for us because we get to think about it. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, and maybe I, I know that it, some of it is evoking the like Dodgers fandom, like the the put upon like these bums kind of that whole world. But I did in the moment, like, 
especially the like maybe I'll actually join the rival fandom. That was it's not even like oh I like I I need to take a step back from the Dodgers because they're just killing me. It's like I'm going to become a traitor to the team I love. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost a baseball accuracy problem, yeah. really. But yeah, and he does. He, he does immediately like try to help and gets Leo DeRocher on the phone, which is a lot more than I've ever done. But like, <laughs> but <laughs> so so like you know, it's it's a minimal thing, but it is something that like I noticed. Yeah, yeah. No, I also clocked it because I was like, he's so grouchy. He's really, he really very, is. very, very grumpy. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And then even like he gets his way for most of the episode, but he's still kind of a grouch about it, even to the point of like being like, I want credit. Well, like you're the talking horse, like who talks to Wilbur and people on the phone, I guess, but not anybody else. Like, <sighs> Okay, 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 okay. So this for me having not really grown up with Mr. Ed. This was a big thing for me because so much of my understanding of the Mr. Ed cinematic universe was was based upon watching this episode. As I, as I said before, I do know that I had seen an episode of Mr. Ed because I remember, I mean, like anything you truly remember from your childhood, I remember it because I was horrified. Mm-hmm. I remember saying <laughs> to my dad... How do they get the horse to talk? And he said that they shocked him. And oh. I was horrified. I don't think that's that true. That is not true. No, this is this is an instance of exactly parental propaganda. So I did my research here because I, I almost like couldn't watch the episode thinking about the fact that every time the horse was moving its lips, it's because it was in pain. So they did it with nylon string at first, Mm -hmm. but then the horse understood what they wanted and just did it himself when the trainer touched his hoof. And Alan Young said that eventually he would just do it when Young wasn't talking. Yeah. A very smart fella. This horse has some chops. This that, horse does have some chops. I that's mean, why I did the ways. same research, but I, I had saved it for the acting category. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It's yeah. fine. So I was confused. So that's, again, the only reason that I know that I saw an episode of Mr. Ed. I remember nothing about it except for that one thing because it stuck with me with horror, right? So I was confused by the fact that Mr. Ed will only talk to Wilbur in person but he's happy to talk to other people on the phone. I think I might have had a preconception that Wilbur was the only one who could hear Ed, like a kind of a very specific Dr. Doolittle situation. Yeah. But if Ed can talk on the phone, then he can talk to anyone. He just chooses not to. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if this is something that like is, you know, maybe in the pilot like the the rules are like laid out really cleanly. I, I'm not sure I didn't go back and watch it. Well, here's the research that I did. Oh, thank goodness. In the first episode, I mean, thank goodness, maybe. We'll see. In the first episode, Wilbur is confused about why Mr. Ed can talk. And Mr. Ed says, don't try. It's bigger than both of us. <laughs> so it's the whole non-answer answer, which I'm not super satisfied with from a storytelling point of view. Yeah, it's not great because, I mean, like, I I get it. Like, it's a silly show and it's got, like, a fun breeziness to it that, like, 
you know, anybody just kind of sitting down and watching it probably is just going to like enjoy the silliness of it and not like pay too much attention. But there is a certain element of like, I can only talk to you. Well, no, you can talk to other people because right. you did it just now. You won't talk to other people like what or what? What's yeah. going to happen? Yeah. yeah. There's not like, it's not like they built into the show like the neighbor guy owns a glue factory and like, so he needs to like, or or it it's not like there's like like P.T. Barnum is like hunting him down so that he can have his talking horse show or that he's going to be inexplicably kidnapped Ed style and put into a clown outfit. 100% yes, by, by people in, you know, like leather jackets with the sleeves cut off. Yeah, yeah there's no raccoon trying to help get that super sports gene out. Totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Because I, my brain went. That's to an Airbud reference for people who, yeah, for didn't, people who listen didn't listen to that episode. <laughs> by the way, it's one of my favorite episodes. Please listen to it. Because um, I think my brain went to exactly the same place. Is that if Mr. Ed in the pilot episode said something like, you know, I'm so afraid. I guess it wouldn't even need to be that dire. But like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a circus. Please help protect the secret of the fact that I can talk, Yeah, you know, that then it would just make more sense. There would be some motivation to be very easy to have that in there. It wouldn't even need to be in this episode. But yeah, there's, there's some sort of reference to that where Mr. Ed says, you know, I only talk to you, mm-hmm. but then doesn't, you know, very easy to just provide a reason for that. And you know what? If it's just like, it's not worth it, I don't want to do it, that's fine. But then you got to be okay not getting credit for the baseball tips. Totally, yes. Like, you can't have it both ways, You can't buddy. have it both ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, really, the entire plot rests upon the existence of an operator. <laughs> for Mr. Ed to be able to ask a human to connect him to Candlestick Park. Like, you could never tell the story today in the age of smartphones. Yeah. Um, although and people, like, remember their numbers. Yes, it's like, so great. He gives he gives Leo DeRoche the number, and DeRoche's like, yep, got it. And well, DeRoche is like, through. I don't need that, right? Like, he's not <laughs> even he, like, okay, let me try to memorize that. He's like, well, you know, got to go kill an umpire or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love, I absolutely love, cannot get enough of the fact that telling the operator to connect you to Candlestick Park gets you the Dodgers dugout. Even eventually, <laughs> right? Even if there's like, you yeah. know, they get connected to Candlestick Park and he's like, I need the Dodgers dugout. And we just don't see that part of the scene. That that happens, it's delicious. It's just absurd and wonderful. Yeah. Absurd and wonderful is also my opinion about the the kind of like B story insofar as the notion that a historic flood would hit Palm Springs. (laughs) So part of this, with this episode for people who, who haven't seen it, it's available pretty easily to stream if you just Google it, it'll sort of pop right up. And Wilbur is sort of at odds with his wife, who wants to go to Palm Springs for the weekend. But Wilbur has tickets for this homestand that's coming up after these Candlestick Park games. And that's where we see the two of them, Ed and Wilbur, going to the practice. But she wants to go to Palm Springs. And Mr. Ed says that it's raining there. Wilbur doesn't believe it. And so calls like the auto club to check on the weather. And then Ed, posing as the auto club, calls back. The wife answers. 
and um, says that there's like flash floods, historic rains, wor- worst flood in history or something yes. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a fun joke because like it never rains in Palm Springs. Yes. It gets like, I think there's like six rainy days a year or something like that. It, yeah. Like it's, that's wrong, but it's actually like pretty close, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I think some of this discussion will be for a later category, I'm Indeed. sure. But I I did actually think that that was like a pretty funny conceit. Yes, I agree. It is very funny. Um, I feel like this could be discussed in a later category, but the, the Leo DeRocher line, she's not a Dodgers fan, that guy's got grounds for divorce, mm-hmm. is a laugh line. But like, yeah, actually, any spouse who holds back any other sp- spouse, not just from going to a game, but meeting the whole team and being the liaison between your hitting mechanic specialist horse and your favorite team just to go to Palm Springs that's there any old time, that is actually. But also, because this is not, I mention this now because this is not relevant to the other category, is Wilbur a real fan? Like, how could anybody turn down that opportunity? Just be like, oh yeah, no, sorry, I can't meet everybody in my favorite team. It's not just going to the game. Like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And why not? Why not lead with I was talking to Leo DeRocher and like, right. I mean I guess she wouldn't believe it or whatever, but like well, as I, we've seen, yeah. But I don't know. I, I yeah. I feel like I feel like there could have been a better way to handle that. Yeah, yeah. By everybody by, involved. By everyone, indeed. I also feel like the did I do something wrong as the DeRocher line last line is a bit flat as this episode's joke lines go, mm-hmm. but I just. Couldn't help but imagine that they wanted to write him a line that was like, it's been a decade since every woman in the room faints when I walk in. And everyone was like, oh, it's only 1963. We couldn't possibly <laughs> allude to something like that. Yeah. Uh, I did like um, that he did have the the line, like, I don't care if you get a herd of elephants in here. Like, yes. Like, if it helps my boys. Just because, like, it, it is sort of like an echo of... You know, I don't care if he's green or striped like a zebra. Yep. Yeah. 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 It I felt that was very, like very derocher. Really, really fun. Yeah. yeah really good. Little, little derocher thing I actually there. think there's some good jokes in this episode. I think I there's too. a good number. A couple of my favorites are, um, I know, I know, you played in the Pony League. <laughs> Pretty good joke. and yeah. Which is an actual thing. But, you know, it's a, it's like a youth league. It was started in like totally. 51, I think. Yeah. And the the only other information that I feel like is uh, worth sharing here about it, um, it, I mean, it's really, really cool. But I like that the different like divisions within it are all based on like different like horse types. So like the like under six or six and under league is like the Shetland league or something. And, and the, for the oldest players is the thoroughbred. And then it's like, there's like eight or nine of them and they're all just named different horses. I don't know. I really like that. I didn't do that amount of research and that is very delightful. Yes. (laughs) I also really liked, that's the smartest horse I ever saw. Uh, He's not that smart. He forgot to touch second base. Great line. A good joke. A really good joke. Yeah. 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 No, I think this is like, we're sort of, joking and saying some somewhat like mocking things about just like the whole like ridiculousness of all this but like it's pretty good it's actually pretty good yeah like it moves along very quickly i mean it follows a lot of like sitcom kind of tropes but it feels 
it feels like what it is, which is just like a really delightful old television episode. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan. I like it, this was not a, a chore at all to watch multiple times. Agreed. Yeah. Do you think that Leo gives Ed the idea for the Palm Springs rain out excuse? Because when he first talks to him, he goes, "Yeah, I know how to win. Pray for rain." <gasps> Ooh, that's some very subtle storytelling. And so I wonder yeah. if Mr. Ed just took that idea and ran with it. Maybe. So this is really an episode about them helping each other. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So this is the question that I had that I uh, lightly teased early in the episode. Is Mr. Ed his father's name? Is the presumption here (laughs) that the horse is one of those people with two first names, right? Is Ed his last name? And his name is actually like Michael Ed or Jeremiah Ed or like Ignatius (laughs) Ed. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right? And we just never know what his first name was. Is, or is this like when my mom calls you Mr. Eric? Yeah, I think it might be like when your mom calls me Mr. Eric. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think we need to worry about it. I think I think that that, and I especially like that it just makes me feel like I have something in common with Mr. Ed. Look, you, you both have uh, a lot of excellent, unexpected skills and knowledge. <laughs> You can rec- both recognize yourself in a mirror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Love looking, love looking at the reflection every time I get a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> and when it's going to rain, your tail sticks straight out. It sure does. Sure does. Oh, man. Um, another joke that I kind of liked was the lip reading stuff. I mean, just the notion it's, of, it's of the so reading good. of the lips is funny, but I love especially the last bit of advice where he says to like, um, you know, shorten the stance and do this, do that. And like, give me some give me hay, some I'm hay, starving. I'm yeah. And I mean, that's the kind of like, it's a certain kind of like corniness to the writing, but it's well executed. And I think the joke like works it's fun and then like derosher like relaying like it relays again. it <laughs> my only wish like if i had been writing the episode would be for there to be rather than like oh and my horse needs some hay for him to double down on it and be like get me some hay means hit the ball out of the park you know yeah, what i mean like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's what they say you know where I came from, you know, right? Give right. me some hay. Is like, yeah, you're gonna slide up the dust at home plate, or like, you know, whatever yeah. ridiculous thing. And then, it like, is. the whole team starts using it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That I would be the best. There's a part of me that feels like some of our ideas just mean that we need to expand this into a feature. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> we'll just we'll add it to the file of ideas yeah. that we have. Yeah, yeah. That you've got you've got like the I'd actually have it as like the tag for the episode, right? You just go back and you see all the Dodgers being like, "Attaboy." Boy, give me some hay. <laughs> That's it. You know what I mean? And then you've got the little like production company logo. It'd be great. It'd be great. Oh, It'd slay. Yeah. So what's your score for this? I don't know. I think I'm like a 55. I too am a 55. Yeah. It's, you know, like it's not. It's an it, above average version of the thing that it is. Yeah. And it has some, like, negative aspects of it. It doesn't, like, blow the roof off. But, like, in some small ways, in its own weird little part of the media landscape, it kind of does blow the roof off. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah. Certainly enough for a 55. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the sequence that I was talking about in baseball accuracy where I could barely keep it together, I was being hyperbolic and also I wasn't. Like, I just think it's just Ed sliding into home. The sequence, like, you know, if we're talking about storytelling, encompassing writing, directing, and editing, the editing of that sequence, the way that they made it happen... Oh I, my God! It's I think gold. I'm, I think it's I'm, actual gold. I'm already like I, this has to be a sixty. I'm I'm changing to a sixty. I'm gonna <sighs> change to a sixty also. Yeah. Mo- just on the grounds of remembering how much I love that sequence. How can it be anything less than a sixty when a main feature of this episode is that a horse hits an inside the park home run off of Sandy Koufax? True, like baseball accuracy problem, yes, but, but storytelling for the sake delightfulness, of storytelling you know immortality. What? I hadn't ever thought about this, but I'm going to be so bold as to say that storytelling wise, I think this is my favorite animal plays baseball. Ooh, thing that I've seen to date. <laughs> we haven't seen Mr. Go yet, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I I think it is I think it is more delightful obviously than Ed. I mean, no contest. And then Airbud. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm forgetting any other animal playing baseball. Yeah, I mean there's other things with animals featured, but I think as players, I think that's, as players, that's all we're yeah, at. Yeah. Yeah, so actually maybe it's not even that bold of an assertion, but I hadn't really thought about that. I like the confidence though. Yeah. 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 Jim's going to like it too. We've split this episode in half here, so look for part two in your feed for the rest of the episode.